welcome to the Roll Down Podcast, hosted live on Twitch every Tuesday night. Now, here's your hosts, Cutler and Soul! And I'm sorry about that if you guys heard the alert, because I didn't turn them off like an idiot. But we're going to press on anyway, that is totally fine, that's just a streamer diff. Uh, we want to first talk a little bit to our guest, welcome them to the episode, uh, get to know a little bit about them. So AC, in your own words, I'd love to hear your history with TFT, where you got started, how you got into it, and, and how you got to the place you're in today. Um, I always played a lot of League. I used to work on Riot on the playtest team for two years as well. Um, so when TFT came out, definitely tried out any Riot game I'm going to try out. Um, so I played set one. I got Challenger in set two. Um, I didn't play set three or four much. I think I played like 100 games between both of them combined. Which is, I mean, it's a decent amount, but... Uh, set five, I got Challenger again, and set six, um, was the one where I, like, really tried to push, like, past that, like, you know, Challenger being top 200, whereas where I really tried to push, like, really high rank. Um, so, yeah. Brilliant. It's fantastic. And, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you, like, the set, you said you didn't play too much set three or set four. Um, was there a specific reason for that? Was that you didn't like those sets as much? What would you say was your favorite TFT set? I mean, I'm fond of set two, just because, like, that was the first set I got Challenger in, so it's, like, it's nostalgic for me. I just, I don't know, I like set two. I like set six a lot as well, so. Um, but yeah, I was a big fan of set two. Underrated set, set two, I think. I really, I started in set two. I actually really enjoyed it, even though I wasn't very good back then. Maybe I'm not that good now, but, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Guys, look, we, we had plenty of plans for the episode and of course as with everything the tft twitter community has come out with a bunch more news a bunch more twit longers a bunch more memes but the most important thing is we've got a b patch and that in time of recording is coming out tomorrow uh so we're going to go through it sort of talk a little bit about it i i was um we're going to come to asa first because you actually played a tournament on the current patch so i was wondering how you sort of feel about where the balance is right now um i think the thing that i mean overall i think it's good uh obviously like the riot team i mean like every individual player you'll see like gold players say oh man they need to nerf this but it's like obviously like personally i just believe like the riot team like they're gonna do, be able to do their job better than like anyone else like um even if you got like the top 20 ranked players and like there to balance the game i'm pretty sure it'd be a lot worse so overall, it's good. I would say my biggest complaint is um, in set five. I remember watching like Mordog talking about like the biggest takeaways is like don't change too many things at once because like a lot of times the comp would go from like unplayable to OP and then it would have to be nerfed again. So like that would be my biggest complaint because I was talking to Mordog directly. It's like hey, like four syndicate units are getting buffed. Isn't this kind of a problem? And now I'm looking at the B patch. Ash is getting nerfed. Zyra's nerfed, Morgana's nerfed, Ari's nerfed, hello, like, <laughs> I feel like this happens every single time where it's like four units of the, Syndicate, the trait itself is getting nerfed, so it's like four units of the same trait being buffed and then being nerfed in the next patch. I, I feel like we've seen this pattern so many times, so I would say that's my only complaint, but other than that, it's it's good. 
Yeah, very interesting. Sol, I'd, I'd love to know uh, your thoughts. I know you've been playing much more Elden Ring than you have been playing TFT recently. <laughs> but because we're on our TFT podcast, we yeah. probably should talk a little bit about the TFT patch. What are you? Oh, what are your we'll, sort of thoughts? We'll at the moment? It, yeah, we'll definitely keep it TFT. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it's this weird thing, right, with with uh, the Riot Balance team. Where, and again, I'm not like saying this to shit on them or anything, but you know, they keep saying time and time again, you know, like. There are these things that, like, we know are certain that, are, like, are not very good, like, for the game, for game health, but they keep trying to make them work for some reason. So, you know, uh, Ace already mentioned that the issue with balance thrashing, like, you know, you probably, you know, you probably shouldn't move, like, four or five different levers, like, that all belong to the same tree in a single go. You know, it's really, really hard to see, how, to, like, know, like, know where that's going to land. And I'll, um, yeah, I'll use a different example with uh, aggro units that aggro drop like specifically like if we think about things like shaco like uh, and like shade z and things like that from previous sets like they know that like aggro dropping as a mechanic is incredibly hard to balance and usually ends up being quite broken but there always seems to be some kind of incarnation of aggro dropping in every single set and every time they're like yeah this time for sure guys don't worry about it it'll be fine <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah i mean look uh it is interesting um i i uh, just looking at the balance, looking at the actual patch at a glance, um, I like that the overall approach is to sort of bring down the overall power level of a lot of the different clans, a lot of the different units. I still feel like we're at a point where, like, I mean, they even mentioned that part of the problem was is that a lot of these fights are still a bit too short for what they'd like, um, and they kind of they kind of want to sort of decrease the power level. And you know, I tend to, I think, I think that's generally a good direction. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Let's go through some of these. I'd like to sort of talk about Corky, who's been on the receiving end of a couple of nerfs in a row now. Hey, so what are your thoughts about the the sort of the, the Yordle opener right now? I know that Nar is another one that's received a bit of a nerf here. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts are on kind of the Yordle opener and how that sort of plays out at the moment. Uh, before I talk about Yordles, I just want to say um, what I was earlier saying about Syndicates. I believe the term they call for this is balance thrashing. So Corky was actually buffed la uh, like a week ago. Yeah. As well as Lucian, both buffed. Yeah. And of course, big surprise, both nerfed in the V patch, sharpshooter nerfed. So this is like, this is like the thing, I was literally talking to Mort about this, and he was, his response was like, if we gave every Yordle 10 HP, you want to say, oh, all six Yordles buffed. And it's like, well, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a straw man, but it's okay. Um, we still love more dog, but um yeah so corky was just buff last patch i think twin shots um are really good I, like i feel like anyone who's been involved in tft in the past few days knows that so i think it's a justified nerf um so anyway going back to what you're saying about the yordle opener i think yordle opener has always been good um it's the it was nerfed near the end of set six but I think it's still good. It gives you like an average of like one point like four ish. I don't know exactly like gold per round. And um, early game, a lot of the a lot of the um, incentive to win a round is just getting that one gold. So if you have yordles in, you already get that like for free in a sense. So yeah, I, I think it's good um, because especially in the first three rounds, if you're like lucky enough to hit it, because your HP doesn't really matter in the first three rounds. Like, if you were to just ask a player, it's like, hey, you can choose what your HP is at the end of round three. Would you rather have 100 HP or, like, 90 HP? I think a lot of players would just choose 90. 
Interesting. Uh, for carousel pick priority, of course. Mm. And it's not that big of a difference. Yeah, fascinating. It's really interesting. Um, Sol, I want to talk to you about Debonair. Um, on the pre-show, we sort of talked a little bit about the Innovator Cup. We're not going to go too much into it, aside from saying congratulations to Spicy Appies. Um, however, I will say that uh, he did play a lot of Debonair uh, during the mm. tournament, and we are now seeing, uh, I mean, four nerfs mm -hmm. to, to different debonairs i keep wanting to call them syndicates but that's not right um how do you how are you feeling about that that comp right now um it's pretty strong uh it, it, it's, it's yeah it's very strong i feel like it's a difficult trait to balance because a lot of the times the vip bonuses are quite transformative um like the difference between a debonair brand three and a non-debonair like uh, sorry the difference between a vip brand three and a non-vip brand three is like night and day um, the difference between VIP Draven and non-VIP Draven used to be like a, an entire canyon. It's closer now, but like it's still a lot better. So I feel like um, the trade is always going to be hard to balance around. So you know, I think this is one of those trades where like uh, towards the, towards like the start in the middle of a set, it's, it's going to be fairly problematic in terms of like how powerful it is. It's either going to be too strong or too weak. Um, but as the set goes on, you know, as they learn more, get more data, they're going to get closer to sort of where you want VIPs to, like Devin and VIP to be. That being said, the current state of Devon areas is that it's it's quite good. It is quite strong. Um, there are multiple different ways you can go about playing it. So a common way to play it is you can just play it as a reroll re -roll comp. You can reroll around either Brand or Syndra, um, either of which are incredibly strong AP carries. Um, alternatively, you can just play the comp as a standard strongest board fast state comp, play it towards like a Draven or something, and like that's the, that's also going to be a very consistent strategy. So I think I think that. Also combined with like the fact that the carries are good, but also the fact that like bodyguards got buffed. So you know, because you, you with Debonair, you always had to play around a bodyguard front lane because you had to play Leona. So the fact that the bodyguards are always in a good spot lead us to a state right now where Debonairs are quite good. So yeah. Hmm. Asa, coming to you for this one, Irresistible Charm is getting a nerf, but they've left very VIP alone, which is I, in my opinion, uh, an equally problematic augment. What are your thoughts on the on the augments buffing the specific traits? Uh, I think they're both. I think. I mean, I think they're both fine as long as like they're balanced. Um, I don't know exactly like what. Uh, so I, I actually like using tactic sauce tools a lot. So right now, I just I just checked like literally as you're saying it. It's two point three games, two point three million games at Diamond Plus M is this patch. And very VIP is like one of the worst performing augments. So it's like, interesting. If anything, maybe if anything, it needs a buff. Um, whereas irresistible charm, I mean, twenty percent damage on your whole team is a lot better yeah. than uh, the effect that very VIP gets. Fascinating. Is irresistible charm a silver augment? I can't even find it. Yes, yeah, it's a silver yeah, augment, silver. and it's, it's if if you if you take it first pick. You don't even know. You take it first pick in hard four debonairs. It's like the fourth best augment in the game. Um, <laughs> so like, it, it makes sense that that one gets nerfed, but very VIP is like quite the opposite. Very VIP, if you take it first, it is like the fourth worst augment in the game. So um, I, I like to use the data a lot uh, because I think just like as a player, we've probably only seen these augments. We've probably only played or played against these augments less than 10 times. So it's like, there's so many factors that go in it. Like, you could easily see, like, one player could see someone take very VIP 10 times. 
and like or they take it 10 times and they go first like eight times they're like wow that's so good another player could take irresistible charm eight 10 times and go eighth eight times they're like wow this augment's so bad but when we look at data over like two million games it's like i just trust that basically fascinating and that's certainly something that we're going to get into later on which is the the data uh the final thing that i want to talk about uh for the patch notes there is a lot in here um i want to talk about innovator uh it either gets nerfed the champions that are innovators get nerfed uh basically every patch it feels like since about three quarters of the way through set six um it certainly had its time where it wasn't a auto kind of fast eight board in set six i would say right now it's pretty dominant overall um is the bear just too good asa you think um well i actually really like what they're doing with innovator because it's like they're applying like um what's the word incremental nerfs over many patches Mm. Uh, i like that a lot because as you mentioned like the speed patch Brand, like you're just like we were talking about Syndicate and Twinshot earlier, but Debonair is another example. Brand nerf, Syndra nerf, Talon nerf, Draven nerf, Irresistible Charm nerf, Debonair trait nerf. Um, you know, it's just like I feel like every single time this happens, like it's reverted next patch. Um, so I'm I, I really I much prefer what they're doing with Innovator, which is more like it's more of um, uh, incremental nerf. Um, Whereas, like, I think the B patch, the only thing that's really getting touched is just a bear. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I think that's reasonable. Um, and then maybe it'll get nerfed a little bit more next patch, and I think that's fine, too. Fascinating, isn't it? I think um, it's become uh, such a different comp in set 6.5 to what we were really used to in set 6 with so many uh, flexible AD carry, four-cost AD carry. Um champions even three cost if you include center as well um soul i I know that you're a big proponent of playing uh innovators and you are a very very strong innovator player i wonder what your what your thoughts are on on the comp right now uh yeah it's in a pretty good spot uh it's still really strong despite like it's and it's weird because the the main patch they literally even uh nerfed ezreal by uh 580 um to even try to like weaken the whole innovator opener but we're still sort of seeing its you know consistency as a way to reach level eight with you know relatively high hp i think a lot of it has to do with a the trade itself is strong right like early game you you getting an extra unit you know when everyone has limited resources that's just an, an inherently very powerful trait but i think it also is combined with the fact that like the units you like play on an inner board are usually just pretty good like Ezreal is incredibly flexible, especially with scrap. Like you know, you you you, yeah, you get to leverage that scrap really easily. You can play, you can flex around a lot of different scrap units. Um, you have like you know unit utility units like Zillion, who's yeah actually quite good in terms of like utility. You've got you've got a solid tank in like Singed and you know et cetera et cetera et cetera. Um, so the units around the trait are quite good, combined with the fact that the trait itself is very powerful. And this leads to like essentially a very consistent shell that you can play uh and it's honestly very reminiscent i compare it a lot to 
uh, Sentinel Skirmisher, for those of uh, us that have played um, set 5.5, where it was an opener that revolved around essentially three core units, but could sort of branch out into like auto, or like it, or, or felt like almost an unlimited tree of like different sort of possibilities. Like you could play around all sorts of different things, right? And that's sort of the same thing with uh, Innovator. It's more the flexibility that makes it so strong. You can you can splash all sorts of different things around that sort of Innovator chassis. Uh, hot 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 topic question. They made Echo an Innovator for set six point five. Yep. Acer, is that was that a mistake? You think is Echo just too good to be an Innovator? Uh, well, they nerfed his mana, so I think he's worse now than he used to be. They also nerfed the attack speed slow. I think it used to—I don't know what it used to be, but I think they changed it to fifteen percent. I think it used, it used to be like thirty-five percent or something. I don't forty percent in set six. Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but um, I mean they they nerfed him, so I think I think that's fine. Um, one thing I would like to add that it makes the innovator comp really good is most other comps need a two-star four cost to stabilize. Innovator just needs one star seraphine. Yeah, fascinating. It doesn't even really need items on it either anymore, Seraphine. Mm. At the very least, not immediately when you find it. So I find myself off quite often taking the Seraphine off Carousel, just whatever it's got on it, just because it's an ultimate yeah. stabilizing tool. Yeah, personally, I, I usually still play Seraphine as a main carry when I play Innovator, mm. but um, the AD, the AD options are definitely a lot more open because Yone and Urgot did not fit that well in Innovators, but... Uh, this pair, this 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 set, we still have Jin, and then Kha'Zix is free assassin synergy, and then Irelia is like you just need one more for Force Scrap. It's pretty strong as well. You also get Socialite, which is strong with Irelia with Seraphine. Mm, sure, that's like the bear itself synergizes really well, right? With Irelia buffing that AD, so yeah, yeah, yeah. My um, my final thought here would be that I know that this is. B patches are generally tended to be quite small. Uh, this one is huge. I will say they've changed so many things. Yeah. It almost uh, feels like a full patch. To be it honest. does. It feels like a full yeah. patch. Uh, one of the things that they have done is, well, at least the very few buffs that they've made have actually been to Siva and Strikers. Uh, that's including a Rek'Sai buff in there as well. Okay, so I was wondering what your thoughts are on, on Siva. I mean, she was the... I mean, the best comp for the first two days, basically, that along with Renata, uh, who is uh, missing from these this sort of patch notes altogether. Um, where do you think Siva fits in right now? Is she still viable? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think Siva's just a really fun champion because, uh, like I said, set two is my favorite set. Yeah. Uh, Siva was like, I think she was introduced in like 2.5. I don't think they officially called it that, but she was introduced like, later on in the set and i really like Sivir a lot um so yeah i mean everything just in terms of like the unit functionality everything's viable it just depends on the numbers right because like hextech everything nothing changed between it being like s tier to kind of f tier um except just like the numbers uh for like six hextech so um, I like that they're buffing Sivers because I think Hextech is still a, li a little bit too weak compared to the alternatives. Um, compared to like Draven, Irelia, Kha'Zix, um, Jin, the other four cost AD carries. So yeah, uh, I think it's good that they're buffing her. And I also like what we were talking about, like it's an incremental buff, right? They're not buffing Sivir and Hextech 
and Alistar and but like they're just buffing Sivir, so I like that a lot. Actually, Lucian's getting nerfed, so. Yeah, Lucian, I, I would imagine, is more of a response to how prevalent the Lucian GP twin shot corky kind of build is at the moment. Yeah, a lot of these changes are pretty minor, but it, it is like a little bit. When it, we are seeing so many in the same tree getting hit at the same time, yeah. That's uh, pretty much going to do it, guys. I mean, uh, for the patch notes, at least. When the episode comes out, if you're an audio listener, you will be able to find the link to the, the patch notes there if you need to to see them. Uh, I would really, really love to get on to the main topic of this episode. Uh, it is one that I am going to take a slight backseat on, despite being a poker enjoyer. I was not a master poker player. Uh, but a lot of the technical aspects of poker i do have a significant uh crossover in in some respects to different games and uh we're basically here to ask is one of those games tft and and how we can uh how we can maybe uh even that out to give us an advantage when we're playing tft hey so i'll I'll come to you first you told us in the pre-show that you don't play all that much poker anymore um focusing a lot on on tft i was wondering in your own words um Poker and TFT, uh, are there similarities that you take from your time playing poker and and put them into into play when you're playing TFT? Yeah, I mean, I played poker full-time for like almost a decade, so I've played a lot, and it's just like, if you think about TFT, but there's only two items in the game and only two units, that would probably be about as complicated as poker is. So <laughs> you got bored. So I'm, I'm kind of bored of it, basically. Uh, but I would say, like, the core skill to master both games are very similar. It's just, like, being able to... I mean, the most important skill is, like, just being able to learn from your mistakes, being able to improve after every game. Um, that's that's kind of, like, unrelated to the game itself. It's, like, if you want to become, like, a good tennis player, it's, like, the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, like, that's the most important thing. But I would say, like, you know, logic... And, like, sometimes, like, dealing with probabilities is something that's in common with TFT and poker, where it's like, oh, like, if I do this play, there's, like, a 70% chance that I think I'll get third. If I do this play, there's, like, an 80% chance I'll get third, but I might have a less smaller chance to get first, and then you kind of, like, calculate which one has a higher expected value for, like, your LP. So, yeah. Um, I would say poker, you do a lot of that. Same in TFT. Sol, my friend, uh, I think I'm going to open up the floor to you here because when we were planning for the Acer episode, for this episode in particular, you said to me there were so many things that you wanted to discuss in terms of poker and how it relates to TFT. So I'd really love to open up the floor yeah, to, sure. to you and, and let's get this, let's get into the meat and potatoes of it all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, for like, I guess for full disclosure in terms of my own poker background, um, it's Obviously, knowing you're as uh, storied and glamorous as Ace's ten whole years of playing professionally, but uh, uh, I so I've been playing, but I have been playing poker sort of casually on and off for about like four or five years now. Um, and towards the sort of start, I was really, really obsessed with the game. Like probably the first two years of playing poker, I was really, really obsessed. Like uh, I would, you know, go through like all the all the different YouTube videos, all the different trading sites, all the different materials. Uh, and I would really, really learn, like, really, really try, like, try my hardest to, like, learn the game, basically, at a sort of more 
strategical and in-depth level rather than just like looking at it as a form of sort of gambling or like you know a way to have fun um so without you know without getting too sort of abstract into all the the all the small all, all sort of finer details about poker i'll say that like big picture wise um the core the core sort of idea of poker and, and just the goal, the goal of poker is to basically uh maximize your expected value in any single situation you're trying to extract the most amount of your uh, equity in any given hand you're trying to basically get the most amount of like value that you can and if you you know if you fail to do this then you know you're basically making you know you're making a mistake and you need to figure out how to plug those mistakes so that you know in the future right you can you know get more out of it basically uh and so like this sort of really broad concept does translate very well to a lot of these other uh video games out there a lot of uh, in particular strategy games that uh have luck and uh variance as a really really big part of their um game systems the only difference is is that as asa mentioned with with poker <laughs> you can really think of it as you know you have two items and two champions at all times uh, if you're playing texas hold'em right so the the whole the whole sort of game tree as we call it your whole uh, your like the amount of different decisions that you can actually make is is actually quite limited. And now, if we sort of look at you know TFT, right, the game that we all play in common, uh, that game has an almost sort of endless matrix of different sort of things that you can do, an endless different matrix of decisions, uh, which which make it so that like the game is you know incredibly uh, more, I would say, maybe complex is potentially the wrong word, but there's 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 a lot more room for like you know different decisions and different sort of moves and everything um and so i guess what i kind of want to get at is is that i i i think it would be sort of interesting to just sort of probe i guess our guest asa on terms in terms of like what sort of i guess what sort of i mean you did already speak about it a little bit earlier but what sort of sort of like learnings in terms of like how you sort of build i guess like a, a form of like decision making how you actually like build a way to sort of like objectively analyze you know your games how how do you like begin to formulate this kind of mentality to even begin with would be the way i would i would sort of want to frame the discussion uh you mean a poker or tft or both oh tft tft <laughs> as in like what so like with poker right um, you know, there's like a specific sort of way we need to sort of look at hands objectively. There's a way we sort of need to analyze, you know, what decisions and everything like that, right? So, like, how can we sort of apply those concepts to TFT and, you know, make become a better sort of TFT player as a result, I guess? Um, I would say one thing is, like, as a default, it's, it's a little bit complicated, but basically, like, they're... For simplicity you can basically assume there is there does exist a perfect strategy like no human can do it for example in chess which is much simpler than tft uh the robots can beat magnus carlson like 99 percent of the time they're like yep. just because like it's just too hard for any human being to do and tft is much much more complex even like a what single round of tft is more complex than all of chess um so like we can't ever achieve it but we i just try to think like i just we, we try to do the best we can to like know what the correct play you, you can vod review you can discuss with people let's just say let's start with something really simple very first round your shop has a twitch pair and a poppy pair 
and then let's say you took a casting off a carousel and it's a uh, execute moon and there's a cast in. so your shop is cast in two twitch uh two poppies in theory there's one of those that hold, hold holding one of those pairs gives you the highest expected value to win the game um there's no way for us to know what it is. No one is that good. I'm sure some people will say, oh, hold Twitch, whatever. But let's like, whatever. I would hold Poppy because I like Yordles. I hold um, Poppy as well, but yeah. Interesting. I hold Kassadin in that scenario. <laughs> interesting, interesting. This is already... <laughs> right. So it's basically there, there, there does exist one choice that is like, just, it's just correct. Uh, I will say it's a little nuanced because there are, it's a multiplayer game, right? So let's say you have seven players in your lobby who you know like heavily lean into mutants, then you probably don't hold Kasten. Um But there's one choice that's correct. But like we don't know what it is. The best we can do is just like through our experiences of playing a lot of games and studying VODs and watching other players play and like seeing who's successful. And like obviously, like in NA right now, Setsuko is extremely successful. So I've been like watching his VODs and like watching him stream live as well. And, um, I just uh, like I'm seeing what units he's preferring, and how he's so high elo. And I'm like, okay, in this spot he played this board where I would have played this board. So I'm like, okay, this is probably like I'm making a mistake here. So then you just like accumulate that knowledge and you just try to get better at just get better and better. You try out to, like I use a very simple example, but this applies all the way into late game. Like there could be a spot like, oh, like do I play? This unit for this synergy. Do I play like Scholar or Clockwork here? Like you're maybe you're playing like a Syndicate Ari board or a Syndicate Ash board, and it's like, oh, I can either fit in like Scholar or Clockwork, but not both, or I could fit in. Yeah, I, so I mean, it's just like you just you just play games and you just see what works out, and I think that's kind of like what dis- differentiates like really good players um, from the rest because. Like I said, the sample size is always an issue because, like, maybe one game I played, uh, I chose to play, let's say one game I chose to play Clockwork, and I won the game, but maybe it was just my opponents had low roll boards. Um, so maybe it wasn't better at all. So it's, like, it's really up to the player to figure out, like, what the differences are. It's really up to the player to figure out, like, what the correct decision is, yeah. But yeah, just like watch the fights and be like, yeah, because like everyone kind of realized like Soko is like really good um, before he got like nerfed. Because like you, like I just put Soko on my board and I watched the fight. I'm like, wow, this unit just like <laughs> nothing ever dies and his yeah. whole team dies. Yeah. And every board you lose to has a Soko in it. And then you realize every time you lost, you you didn't have a Soko. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. using the data a lot. I, I know Morpdog recently tweeted against it. I, I feel like it was at least a little bit targeted at me because I'm always posting in Lobby 2 about like, oh, on Tools it says like, this unit is like, same play rate, but much higher win rate than this other unit. Um, but I, th- I think, I, I like using the data a lot as well. I, obviously, like anytime you use the data, you have to, also use your brain because like for example um on the first patch of set six alawi had a really high win rate and it's like well you only play alawi if it gives you six bruiser so like you you have to like use your brain and make those connections you can't just be like oh wow alawi's op i'm gonna play her but no it's like the only time they had her in the final board is that they're playing six bruiser which was just really strong so yeah yeah in fact Oh, sorry. Wanna, I no, no, I, the only thing I was going to say there is um, I think back to a very a similar scenario that you pointed out there in, in set three, where the highest win percentage unit for the last few patches of set three was the two cost Mordekaiser, because it was just everybody was, it was the, it was like the, 
last six weeks of set three where everybody played dark star and that was basically it it was like three people per lobby played dark star so the variance of that one unit having the highest like a very high win percentage was always really high because there was always somebody well not always but there was somebody in there was multiple people in the lobby playing the same unit all the time and it was often doing very well because the comp was so good so the var the variance there led pe led the stats to show that Mordekaiser was one of the best units to play in the game but four people had Mordekaiser 2 by the end of the game so it's a very interesting a very interesting uh sorry so you'd let you let you go back to it yeah no no it's all good um i i wanted to t I, I wanted to sort of touch more yeah touch even more sort of on the whole stat side because i feel like um you're like one of the first players i've actually sort of talked to that sort of really sort of go sort of deep on using stat using the statistics as a sort of actual legitimate form of analysis where i feel like a lot of um, and this is not to say that like using anecdotal sort of evidence is bad at all, but I feel like a lot of the uh, challenger communities in even in a lot of different regions, um, they go about you know analyzing different situ like different situations based on sort of anecdotes. You know they'll be like, oh, you know this X unit is really broken because in this game it did this this this. Not like this unit is really broken because it has like you know like a sixty plus percent win rate and like blah 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 right. So I feel like that's I just, I, I don't know if, like, I'm just sort of repeating a lot of what you've already said, but I just thought that it was really, really interesting that, like, um, sort of, we we're looking at, where we sort of use stats as a way of trying to figure out what's actually good. Um, but it, it is also important to sort of be, like, to sort of figure out, like, you know, uh, which of these stats, stats are, like, extremely skewed and, and to figure out the reasons why those stats are, like, skewed. So yeah, I, I I don't I don't know if that was like uh, an actual like you know talking point or whatever, but like I just thought it was interesting to sort of like sort of retouch on that point because yeah, I did find it really really interesting that um you look at the stats a lot. Well, back when I worked at uh, Riot Playtest, um, this was for Summer Shift, of course. Um, I think a lot of times like a play a player like even a challenger player potentially because like maybe they had really good mechanics, but like. Mm -hmm. Okay, whatever, it doesn't matter. But like <laughs> a player could say, Wow, how can you give this character three dashes, a point and click stun? Okay, I'm just making this up. I don't know if this character yeah, exists. Yeah. Like three dashes, a point and click stun or whatever, and it's like this character is like solver powered. But it's like you realize if you just like take ten AD off this character, it's gonna be literally like garbage tier. So it's just like you can't just you can't just say like, Oh, I can do XYZ, therefore it must be good. Um. So yeah. Same thing on TFT. It's just like sample size. Like, so, like mm -hmm. I've you know I've had people come to my Twitch channel like, hey, I built this item on this unit and it felt really good and I got first. I'm like, well, I look at tactics.tools and uh, out of Ari's top twenty items, Rageblade is the ninth, the nineteenth out of twenty best <laughs> best item. So I think it's pretty bad. Also, yeah. I did the math, and it takes 15 autos to break even with blue buff for cast per cast per minute or whatever. So I'm like, yeah, this thing's terrible to me. <laughs> um, but there, I, I the, that's just one example. I, I was, I, I know, uh, like Soju and Dish so far proponents of Rage Blade Ari, but I, I think it's really bad. Interesting, interesting. It'd be um, really interesting to hear your thoughts. So you mentioned something before. Uh, sorry to cut in. I just wanted to say that's okay. You said that more 
has tweeted a little bit about not being a huge proponent of looking deep into the stats. I was wondering if you could, you could, I mean, you don't, you don't have to guess, but I guess my, my question is why do you think that Mort maybe thinks that way? And do you think that that's a, a reasonable take for the, the, you know, the game, the game designer, one of the, the lead to, to have? Oh yeah, it's definitely reasonable because, um, I mean, he's basically just saying you can't just blindly follow the stats. You, like, I go mm. to Tactics.Tools, again, 2.3 million games to analyze this patch, like, not even counting 6.5, this patch, and it says, Seneca, Ashra, Morgana, top comp, 22% win rate, but, like, you can't just look at that, and you know how I mentioned earlier, like, there's a correct, theoretical correct way to play TFT that we can't reach? Mm. We don't know that Syndicate should be the best, should be the best or most played comp like it's just because um because people think it's good they're more likely to play it and like learn how to play it and get really comfortable with like the ins and outs and learn how to optimize the the items and positioning and everything so it's like you can't just blindly follow the stats but i mean uh, i i think they're very useful but you can't just yeah you can't just follow it blindly you still have to like use your brain a bit yeah for sure i wanted to sort of touch on that a bit more um actually in the um what you said earlier about how in any sort of given situation there's theoretically sort of a perfect way of play um so to sort of explain it to uh our sort of viewers um it's basically uh it, it is a concept that does transfer sort of from poker so uh, the long story short of it is is that the current sort of state of sort of like professional poker and just playing poker for like seriously for money is that uh, a lot of the play is based around these sort of softwares which are called solvers and essentially it's essentially like an think of it as just a computer program that can run simulations and run simulations of millions and millions and millions of hands and will tell you exactly what you should do with whatever hand in any situation so a lot of sort of understanding how to play sort of poker right now is sort of running these simulations and then looking at it and then thinking, okay, why does the computer choose to do, you know, this? Why does the computer choose to do this? However, in reality, the most profitable way to actually make money is not to necessarily do like everything verbatim, but there's also that sort of human side to it as well, where, you know, you can do, there's room for a lot of sort of unorthodox uh, and weirder sort of decisions, right? And if we sort of bring this back to TFT, like, there are going to be a lot of situations where like, yes, like this specific thing to do is technically like more correct to do or like we'll win more games, but maybe this other like sort of weird thing to do actually, you know, for this specific person will yield better results because of like, because A, maybe like it caters their play style, maybe like it's, uh, it's, it's good in that specific lobby, um, you know, it could be a, a wide sort of variety of different sort of reasons. So I, I just thought that that was like sort of interesting to sort of maybe touch on uh, just just the whole concept of like, you know, in theory, there's a perfect way to play if, you know, computers could play the, like, you know, computer programs could play the game. Right. But I think it's just really, really interesting when you sort of add the human element to it as well. And you factor in the fact that, like, you know, we humans, you know, we, we our strategies are always going to be imperfect. We're going to make all sorts of different mistakes. But then that also leads to sort of out, out of the box sort of thinking and ways to play the game. Sorry if that was like a bit of a long tangent, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. I would say like chess is another game. Um, I think there's there will be some people who will swear one game is more complicated than the other, but I, I think that is a mark that is like we don't really know, right? Like chess mm -hmm. and poker, in my mind, are roughly they're at least in the same ballpark of complexity because there's a lot of debate which which one of these two games is more complicated. Um, I think it is, it is very clear that TFT is more complicated than both of them, but 
I will say, like, the thing with, like, these solvers is, like, it's, like, let's say you have, like, two of the top chess players playing each other, and one one of them, one of them is, like, they're going to be offered a move by the engine. They're, like, forced to play that move, even though they might not normally play that move. You are correct that it's not always going to be better because there's a human element, and they might not be comfortable. Like, they might not know what to do after. And same thing with poker. Like, they, they might not be comfortable with, like, the line that, the situation that puts them in. But I think just the skill gap is so much higher that it's um it's just going to be, it's generally just going to be better. Um, sure. Again, just, like, the, the, the discrepancies, like, you can, um, for poker, like, Libratus is, like, a pretty old, pretty old uh, poker engine, but it's like one of the more famous ones where it played against a lot of the top players and just destroy, completely destroyed them. And uh, same thing in chess. It's like the top the top computer software completely destroyed Magnus Carlsen. It's, it's like the the skill gap would be like it, yeah, it would be like a the skill gap would be like I mean, if we had a perfect TFT like thing, it would probably top and we just like if we could play TFT perfectly and just set this robot on the NA ladder, I think it would top. There is variance in the game, but I think it would probably top for like ninety-five or at least percent of its games, probably. If not, like closer to hundred, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that like, yeah. So to sort of just add like a exclamation mark on the sort of this specific topic, I, I think that like. It's like, it's really interesting that like, yes, in theory, like if a perfect AI existed, you know, it, it would just completely crush everyone, right? But the thing is, is that like, we're not playing against AIs yet, at least. <laughs> we're playing against yeah. other humans. So our strategies are all going to be flawed and imperfect. And I think that that's quite, it, it's, it almost has a beauty in a way in that, in that like, uh, your, your strategy may be imperfect, but it could be perfect for this specific you know, situation, right? Um, because everyone else's strategy is also flawed and imperfect. So yeah. Yeah, when I said there's basically a correct strategy, there is a nuance that I didn't mention earlier, but I guess I'll say what it is now. It's in a multiplayer game. It's you can't really say it because um, it depends on the other players, but it's it's generally like accepted that it's yeah. But I mean, yeah, like I said, like let's say my entire lobby only plays six short all. That's all they play. The other seven players. Yep. Well, if I follow my strategy and I get an opener, that's like. Again, like this opener that I used earlier, two poppies, two casts, and two twitches. Maybe on average, poppy is the best unit to hold. But in that situation, you should definitely not hold the poppy. Yeah. Actually, maybe I actually think I actually think it's kind of um, what's that? I'm not sure what the word is. It's like a, it's like it's it's kind of like a prisoner's dilemma kind of thing. Where I actually think if seven yeah. people in the yordle are playing six yordle. I think if the one person doesn't play six yordle, they actually guaranteed eighth because everyone else gets yordle yep. lord on stage three. Yes, correct. Um, I mean, this is yeah. We we can talk about the prisoner prisoners a little bit real quick. In fact, this concept probably applies to any sort of contested situation with any reroll comp. Um, so if we want to apply that, okay. So wait. Okay, actually, I don't even remember the original prisoner's dilemma. To be honest, <laughs> do you, do you the original the prisoner's original? dilemma yeah. is basically like we both should do, like we both should do X, and that's the best for both of us. Yeah. But if either one of us doesn't do X, it's better for us. So what ends up yeah, happening right. is both players will not do X, even though the best thing they could do is both agree to do X because if either one of them, if either one of them like backstabs the other person, they benefit from it. 
that that's right. No map. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it's like, like they case... they benefit. Sorry, sorry. I, I misphrased no, 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 that. You're good, you're if good. you backstab, you you benefit no matter what. No matter what the other person chooses. If you choose option Y, then you benefit. So yeah. yeah. So so you'll always end up backstabbing. Yeah. So so to be a little bit less abstract, and we apply that to TFT, right? Let's say you're playing reroll, and the other guy's also contesting your reroll comp. Basically, according to the principles of the member, you should never, ever pivot out of your comp. <laughs> you should hold hand 7A because the reason is, if you pivot out of your comp, then the guy gets to just take your... Like, he, the other person just gets to take your units, and then they're just completely uncontested. And then they get to go They get to go top, you know, top four, top two, whatever, basically. So it's a situation where, yes, you're mutually destroying each other by going 7A, by, you know, not pivoting out of each, each respective reroll comp, but... You're never incentivized to pivot out of your rural comp because all that does is let the other guy hit all their units and then go top four if you pivot out. Oh, I I completely disagree with that. I think you very oh, really? are you very much okay. are incentivized to pivot. Um, it, it is actually very interesting because there's uh again talking about AI. There's like an iterated. There's there's like a competition where you write a program, and you play basically this prisoner's dilemma game against the other contestants, which are just you know other programs written by other people. And you play them in like a best of best of twenty or whatever, like twenty games in a row where you can choose whether to backstab or cooperate. So it's like obviously if you backstab every time, other people are gonna be like, no, fuck you. So you have to like write your program to cooperate some, right? So um so I guess like playing on ladders like this, if you're expecting to play against the same players a lot, uh where it's like Maybe you gain a meta advantage if other people know you're not going to pivot. But I think in a in in an individual game, let's say it's the final game of a tournament, like say it's final game of regionals, you should always pivot, right? Because like, why would you self destruct in that situation when you can increase your own EV? It's like in that situation, you should always pivot, right? If it's only one game, the only downside <laughs> yeah. is like the meta, where it's like if you play against that player in the ladder, then they might be more inclined to like try to bully you out of your comp. That's fascinating. I think the, the pers really, personally, I always pivot. Yeah, <laughs> the really interesting thing about the the actual the original prisoners' dilemma, of course, is that the prisoners have no way to communicate. In TFT, yes. technically, TFT, you can talk. Technically, you can actually tell somebody what you're going to do, and it there's actually, a lot of that in the tournament. Yeah, yeah, mm. and it, and it's certainly like you mentioned on ladder as well. It's it's actually you know you know that somebody in your lobby, let's say, oh that guy's man, that guy one-tricks Twitch. Like, I've seen that guy. That guy only plays Twitch every game. And you get, uh, you know, you get, like, your, like, one-two shop has Twitch 2 in it for whatever, you know, whatever reason. It happens relatively often um, that you get a two-cost off your first shop. Um, and then that's the, that's the big difference. You have to decide. You get to decide knowing that that person can communicate with you if you're actually going to pivot or not. And that's the interesting game theory aspect of it all. In Innovation Cup, I actually, uh, my first two games, I played Seven Syndicate both games. Um, and then my next four lobbies, I had Socks in all four of my games. And his stream title, or obviously everyone's mandatory to stream, his stream title is No Scout, No Pivot, One Darius, and I Hard Commit Syndicates. <laughs> and uh, I actually never played Syndicates ever in any of those other four games, even though I was like very inclined to because... I was like, okay, if I play it, I for sure am contesting at least one person. We also we also had some other players that were like very heavy syndicate players. So I was just like, I'm I'm already a little bit more disinclined to play it. Yeah. 
we'll bring that up with socks and we have him on the podcast next week uh we'll ask him about that but yeah socks <laughs> was basically the guy who uh benefited from that because i was like yeah. no I, i'm not gonna hold hands and go eighth with you fuck this yeah he, he was like i'm willing to do it and i'm like no i don't want to do that that's what i mean right i guess that that's sort of that was sort of the point i was originally getting at when you are the person forcing the specific rural comp rather actually you know it is in your best interest to never ever pivot out because the minute you pivot you send the sort of message that like if someone contests you you're willing to pivot but if that person knows that you're never pivoting then they will never they, they in theory should never contest you because they're just self-destructing right well, I mean, that's also a meta thing because Sox was actually contested a lot and he did not make day two. I didn't make day two either, by the way, but he also did not make day two. And it's like, he was contested a lot. Um, like, I was in those games. Like, there are multiple Syndicate players where I might have played it as well. Like, um, and like, I guess what I was saying, like, if it's the final game, like, let's say it's the final game regionals, let's say it's Worlds, final game of Worlds. So it's like the most, like, prestigious, like, I mean, you're not going to sacrifice that game for your reputation. Yeah. Very interesting. Agreed. <laughs> and we, we actually, yeah, you know, another agree. similar in the Innovator Cup where um, Ramkev, is it Ramkev or Spencer? Whoever it was, basically only played Twitch for like three days. That yeah, was that was Spencer. <laughs> Spencer. He just played Twitch basically every lobby. Nobody else played Twitch in, in, any, in the, any of his lobbies. Uh, he got contested a couple of times. Yeah, very interesting. I really enjoy that aspect of game theory because you know, we we have the the significant ability to communicate our intentions with people uh, in this game. Yeah, I guess going yeah going into what Soul says, like where you can't say it's correct to always do something because even like I said in this AI competition where it's like you only have two choices: cooperate or backstab, and then you play twenty games against like another program. The ones that win the tournament are not, they're definitely not always doing one choice or the other. So mm -hmm. you definitely can't say it's like always correct to do one thing or the other. Mm. And that's when we get into the human element as well. Um, you know, we just got a comment in chat like, I don't want to be known as the guy that pivoted. <laughs> like, I don't want to be known as a pivoter, you know? And I think that, that that's the, that's the, that's the game within the game. That's the that's the man behind the the camera, the man in the behind the curtain, the glass ceiling, everything like that. You know, you don't get to you don't get to know what they're thinking unless they specifically tell you, and it and it comes to fruition. Fascinating, yeah. really interesting point um, point of of conversation there. I, I will say that like almost no one has reached like a really high rank playing only one comp unless like the patch it could happen but the patch must be like really imbalanced from like again like you mentioned something in set three I didn't play set three but I played set two five and six and yeah no one has re reached like a, a super high rank playing like only one comp like the closest I can think of to, in my mind is Kiyun playing the Nocturne in set two yeah. known, known as Blender um, I think he eventually was rank one at one point, but he was uh, playing other stuff too. Like when he was hard committed to only playing Nocturne, he was always like pretty high, like top 10, but never won. And then when he like opened up that flexibility, then uh, he was able to climb, right? So, because you're not always going to get units for that. Like what if you get, what if yeah. you get Rod Rod tier as like your first three items? I was going to say, I think we have seen periods though in, at least like, it's funny that, um yeah, you missed the, like, you know, you missed that three because I remember 
I remember Mech was incredibly dominant at points in set three, and uh, a lot of the top people on the leaderboards were Mech only one tricks. But I want to say like that, like, that's yeah, all I did. I, I do, I do want to say that people were a lot worse at the game back then as well, and uh, I think that like people being known for like a single comp and hitting like one off of only playing that comp is mostly a thing of older TFT sets rather than newer TFT sets. Could be wrong on that one. That this is just like a based off like feel, but yeah. It's uh, I think a lot of the newer sets of TFT. Let's say like five. 5.5 onwards i would say probably where you would say that there was a significant sort of shift in overall balance design to make kind of um high impact decisions feel more impactful to your overall board um you definitely see like a big change like you mentioned there and, and certainly a, a different design philosophy from the team that uh, really that probably really helps i think that fact Yeah, mech is a big one. <laughs> mech's a, I'm, 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 because yeah. I mean, I guess it really depends. Like, I mean, in set three, socks was like what he was rank one and two. He had like nearly four k LP combined on both of his rank one and two accounts. So mm. there's no way he was just one trick. Like, I think for sure, the patches don't last long enough for you to be like, oh yeah. This guy only played the one comp for the entirety of a set, except Mech, where it was never really unplayable, I don't think. Because there were even instances in set two, I mean, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Asa, but there was instances in set two where Blender was, like, hard nerfed pretty consistently. And it, yeah, wasn't, I like mean, a, um, it wasn't like a... The different comps were good at different times, for sure. I mean, yeah. at the start, I mean, at the start of it, like, Ocean Mages was the dominant comp. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Um, I actually briefly wanted to talk about um just results-oriented sort of thinking and analysis in general. Um, I know that like, you know, all of us on the pod, you know, don't really struggle with this, and probably a lot of our listeners who play the game a lot probably don't. But um, I guess I I always found it sort of interesting to sort of how you get past that initial hurdle of being results-oriented. Because at least that, like, when I think about myself, I know that when I first started playing sort of games with a lot of variants in them, I was quite results-oriented, and it took me quite a while to sort of get past that initial hurdle. Luckily, by the time I arrived at playing TFT, I'd already learned that from, like, a lot of previous different experiences. But, you know, I guess... I guess it's just... I, I guess I want this topic to be more framed at, like, the more sort of newer sort of beginners who maybe don't really have much experience with games that have a lot of luck in them, you know, and they struggle with the idea that, you know, you can make a decision that's correct, but still get punished and, like, lose, despite making the, the better decision. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, to just... if you're, I guess, like, if you're talking about a total beginner who's not familiar with the concept, I would just say, like, okay, what if I say, hey, I'll roll a dice. If it's a one, you have to give me $10. If it's any other number, I'll give you $100. And then you're like, all right, let's do it. And then I roll it, and it's a one. And you're like, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. Would anyone actually say that? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> so that's like a very extreme example. Um, but yeah, I mean, the same applies in TFT. It's like you might make the correct decision uh, that like a certain, maybe like um, 
taking a certain item off the carousel is going to give you like that might be the correct decision that like, give you the highest chance well let's let's say for example you have six innovator with like innovator heart and you take a jace with like you have a choice of taking either like a morello which you don't have which is very good in that comp obviously or like a jace with an item you don't need and you take the jace and your next chop has a jace and you're like well you can't just say like oh i shouldn't have taken the jace <laughs> that would be like very results oriented um so i guess it's just like yeah i mean it's just like how do you how do you figure that out i mean i guess like t- having a vod like you can download obs for free um it takes like five minutes and uh just having vods and like being able to review them like not in the heat of the moment because when you're playing a game first of all you're emotionally invested in the game and second of all like you only have 30 seconds so you don't really have time to even think about that but you can look at the vod later you can send it to a t- you can you know maybe ask like a top player like reddit like all the time has like gm plus or even challenger players on the competitive tft subreddit just be like hey like i'll coach you for free so it's like you send to any of those guys and like be like hey did i make the right choice here um so yeah i just think it's, you just have to you just have to be objective about it and just uh not yeah i mean just not be results oriented <laughs> see i i think that that's sort of the interesting part of it i guess is that like i think for players like us um you know it, it, it almost seems sort of i guess obvious in a way and that like oh yeah of course you know this was fine of course like this you know like of course you shouldn't be you know results or anything or whatnot but i think that like the interesting part is that uh a lot of people do sort of default to that sort of line of thinking um i'll use sort of more sort of closer subtle subtle examples so for example like um maybe you were like i don't know maybe you were trending towards playing like an ad comp and then you took like an ad item or whatever and then you proceed to get dropped purely like AP items and everything, and then you know, like someone in your chat might be like, "Oh, you know, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you be more like open? Why, like, as in, like, why, why weren't you more flexible? Blah blah blah." When like, you know, it's it's pure. This is like this is one purely random like sort of instance where like you you built you had your entire game plan before that, right? Before that, before that sort of thing happened, and like once that thing happens, it's like, "Oh, why did you play AD? You know, you got dropped all these AP items, and it's like." Well, you know, I was the seven, the eighty percent of the game. I was doing this completely other thing, and now I'm expected to like completely change everything based on that. So, yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean that's part of what makes like really good TFT players is like being able to like flex around your items because like there's some players that like uh, they're playing six Arcanist and they get sword, sword, bow, glove from Raptors, and they're just like. Oh, I got so unlucky, like, I can't play the game, like, I, that's why I bought four. But then there are other players who are like, okay, like, maybe I can fit, like, a Jin Oreo in my comp and put these items on Jin, Or, like, I fit, fit a Jace in my comp or something like... Um, so, I mean, you just, like, that's another big skill in TFT, you just have to be flexible and just, like... Yeah. A- a- anytime... Like, okay, obviously, if, if you had gotten dropped, like, two rods, two tiers, your probability of placing higher is better so it's like yes because you got those drops it was unlucky your average placement was lower otherwise but you can't just say like that's why i lost that's probably not why you lost unless you're like sure. challenger because like like if you're like if you're like a diamond player then you shouldn't focus on you shouldn't focus on factors outside of your control you should just focus on things that you can do better 
Yeah, maybe I didn't like use like the greatest example to be honest. Uh I, I guess um I was more just trying to yeah, more trying to say that like um I think of Sorry, I think I yeah, really didn't use the best example I could have possibly used. I th I think your original ex I think your original like one of like picking the Jace and then the Jace showing up later in your shop was like a good one. Like just like, you know, you you go for like one decision, like you go for like one tree because it makes sense right now, and then something shows up that in hindsight looks like, you know, would have been better if you did X thing, right? But at the time you did X thing, you couldn't have possibly and you couldn't have possibly anticipated the result coming down the line. Actually, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That, that's um, probably a better addendum. Actually, sorry, if I can quickly... Yeah, that might be a better addendum to what I was trying to say earlier with, like, you started off playing that AD comp and then you got dropped sort of AP items and now you have to try to figure out how to use those AP items. And then instead of looking at it as, like, you know, like, why you know why aren't you just playing a full ad comp you have to be like wait hold on i've got these ap items that like I, I have to try to figure out how to use like i have to try to flex some kind of ap carry in here some kind of unit that can actually use these items otherwise they're just going to be done on my bench but yeah i would say like this kind of mentality extends to um it extends to outside of just the game itself um i know some people are like Oh man, like three augments sometimes are just completely unplayable. Like they should have given us four augments, but just like, just imagine we're in like an alternate universe. Everything is the exact same except we have four augments instead of six. Can you not imagine those same people being like, "Oh man, four augments is so unplayable. They should give us five augments." <laughs> she is five. So it's just like yeah. that mentality, you know. It's just like you just have to under. Yeah, it's just that mentality that's like you're always. People are always. Um, it's human nature, it's evolutionary actually, it's where it's like um, to survive in this world, we have to like be confident in our decisions and like, I mean this is like getting really deep, but it's like now that we have civilization, it's kind of like vestigial but it's like, it's, it's human nature to not blame ourselves in those situations basically and uh, it's not like our fault or anything it's like literally what humans needed to do to survive and the ones who didn't do that, like, died out. So it's like... And that's why we blame more instead of ourselves. Yeah, basically. like <laughs> It's like millions or billions or however long years of evolution. That's basically why people are always like, oh, I got more dogged instead of saying, oh, like, I should have done this. Um, but, like, in order to be, like, a really, really good player, you, have, you do have to, like, rein that in and be like, and focus on what you can do better instead of just, like, focusing on the variance. Sure. Yeah, totally agree. I, that's a really interesting point too. Sorry, so I'll let you finish that. What you were just gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say like um, I, I like my favorite TFC streamer to watch is actually like Boxbox, and I noticed like most of the time after he finishes the game, he's like, "Oh, I should have done this. I should have done this." He's a challenger player, right? So he's like, "I should have done this. I should have done this." But if he's really tilted, he's just like, "Dude, this was so unlucky. This was so unlucky. This was so unlucky." <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, and it, it's the same like for everyone. Everyone does it. Yeah, everyone Everyone that wants to be good at this game is competitive. You know, I mean, of, of course, coming from a... Com we come from competitive backgrounds ourselves. You know, we both play competitive card games. You, of course, from from poker. The Your gut reaction to, like, losing... Uh, you know, you can lie, to, you can lie mm. to me all you want. Anybody's gut reaction to losing is never the first thing you you, you say is never ah. Oh. Like I'm, I'm really really proud of how my opponent just played just then, like and you can be the most magnanimous person ever and I and I know for a fact that there are significant 
you know, people out there that are very magnanimous in victory or defeat, but you are, you are destined to, to consider your own feelings on, on that topic first. And that, I think that plays into why, why it's such a, such a competitive, a competitive feeling when you, when you think to yourself after a game, shit, man, this sucks. Like that really sucks. I should have done this. Like I could have done that, but like that, that part wasn't my fault. That guy, that guy fucked me there. That guy did something that really pissed me off, you know? It's natural. I think it's natural. Yeah. Yeah, it's human nature. Absolutely. I didn't think we'd be getting so deep into, into human nature on, on this episode. <laughs> Asa, from a... Uh, oh, sorry. You go. No, I was no, just saying that's also why poker is so... Um... It's why it's so popular. It's like why why it's the, one of the only games that people compete against each other for money. It's um, for example, let's like let's say people set up like TFT money matches where it's like, but then I saw like, let's say like, for example, I have Setsuko in my lobby, and it's like, all right, whoever places higher, I give you a hundred dollars, or he gives me a hundred dollars. Whoever places higher, I'm not gonna take it because I can see that his LP is way above me. But in poker, you don't poker doesn't have a ranking system, so when you go, you don't know how good everyone is. So if you go to a random casino anywhere in the U.S., uh, most tables are nine players per table, and you ask, like, every single person in private, I mean, they won't tell you the truth, but, like, if you can know privately what every single person thought, like, their ranking of the player, like, how good they are relative to other players, I would say, on average, eight out of nine players probably think they're in the better half. Um, Obviously, like, only, like, four and a half on average, and probably, like, on average... About half the players probably think they're the number one best player at the table. So it's just, um, that's kind of what keeps poker going. And that's how I feel when I get into a lobby and I see diamond players in my lobby accidentally. Wow. Some, and it, sometimes it's hubris at the, sa- at the same time as well, isn't it? It's a, it's a mixture of, of feeling secure and insecure in, in that fact. Oh, it's definitely hubris. And also Dunning-Kruger, where it's yeah. like, oh, to be sure. good you have to do let's say to be good you have to do 100 things good and you're really good at 20 out of these 100 things so you but you're not good at the other ones so so you literally don't even recognize them so you see these 20 things oh man all these other guys are doing these 20 things wrong but they could be doing like 40 things right that you're not doing right so it's just Mm -hmm. like so it's like it's very natural for people to think like oh i'm better than all these people because they that's just what Dunning Kruger is. It's not. It's not. Mm. It's not like a. It's not a diss to say someone's like experiencing that. It's just everyone experiences it because you literally don't know what those things are. Yeah. Yeah. So, to, for our listeners that you know have perhaps not heard of the Dunning Kruger effect, it's essentially describing a sort of state of mind where uh, you believe that you are uh, much much better than you actually are at doing something. It, typically, and it's typically something that you have very very little experience in actually doing it or just don't do a lot. So I'll bring the whole discussion full circle back to the topic of balance. It's all elo are, hell. I was going to say, players are really good, actually, at figuring out what's wrong with the game. They are usually terrible at actually fixing the game. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, man, you know, let's, let's use the example of TFT. They're like, oh, man, this thing's so broken. This thing's so broken. You know, if I, if I was a Vault Truth, I would change this, 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 this. 
and most of the time they'll probably be compl- like those changes will be completely terrible changes and like it's funny that people get in that state of mind despite the fact that like they have zero game design experience like they've like they, they haven't yes exactly yeah they haven't gone to school for game design they haven't made games before they haven't done any of this before but like in their mind yeah if i was the designer the game would be way more balanced for sure <laughs> so yeah I, I think it is really really interesting yeah, I mean, that's why I said at the start, like, I, I don't like the balanced thrashing where it's like four debonair units and the trait and there's a small charm all being nerfed at once. But, you know, like the design team, I think they're going to make the best decision out of anyone out there. So it's like, you know, that's something I personally might disagree with. But I mean, overall, it's like, yeah, they're doing a good job. Love to and yeah, it, it, it is very, it is very, very so like... I can again. It's very human nature, but it's so. If you just step back for a second, it is so stupid to like be like a diamond player and think, "Oh, I could balance." I've never studied game design in my entire life. I can make a better set than the Riot <laughs> team. Like, dude, like, come on, <laughs> like, please. Yeah. Love to hear your thoughts on augments themselves, Aso. Uh, we've talked a lot about like good augments, bad augments. They're sticking around in some form for set seven. Uh, because they, this is in itself a variance discussion. It's increased a significant amount, like it's added variance significantly to the game. I was wondering if you you find them enjoyable. Like specifically, do you like augments? Do you like the play style that comes from augments? Do you want to see them stick around? Um, I think the set six. So I think most people. I actually think the set six augments were better than six point five. I'm not sure if that's just because the whole system was new. But I'm looking at like a lot of the augments in 6.5, and I just feel like so many of them do like very similar things. For example, Celeste, Second Wind, Makeshift, Phalanx. Um, they're just all very similar. It's just like it just makes your team a little bit tankier. I do understand like yes, there there are some differences. And same thing with like Disintegrator, Electro Charge, Luden's Echo. There's so many more of them, and obviously it's like okay, okay Disintegrator is better if you have high attack speed. Luden's better if you have low mana costs. Electro charge is better if you have a lot of HP, but it's like I feel like there's so much overlap where it's like, well, I have three choices and they all just give me a little bit more damage. Um, so I would actually like to see augments be a little more like more like out there, I guess. Like um, I'm just gonna look at the list for like silver augments because like those are the most tame. I, like I think cybernetics is great. Like that changes the way you have to play the game. I think like dominance is great, uh hyper roll is great, lifelong learning is like really interesting. Although it's like again like balancing where it's like right now it's not really worthwhile. Um I I think exiles is really interesting where it's like, hey, you get a really powerful effect, but you have to sacrifice your positioning. Keepers is very similar there. Um so I think augments like that are really interesting. Um but when it comes to all these things like Ludens, Electro Charge, even even something like Sunfire Board. Yes, it's different, but in the end, all of these are just like, hey, no matter what your board is, you get a little bit more damage. To, uh, I'm not. I wish there's a little less overlap in that regard. Fascinating. It's not. It's not. Again, it's not like I have a decision to make. It's like, okay, I have challengers. I'm offered uh, disintegrators versus Ludens, so I take disintegrator. Or it's like I'm playing Arcanist, and I get offered disintegrator versus Ludens. It's like, okay, I take Ludens. It's like this. It's not an interesting choice, so I I I, I would like less overlap in that regard. I think yeah. like a lot of it, if I, yeah, I, was just, I I think that a lot of it, especially with the mid set, is that I mean I feel I feel like you can tell 
You can, like, there are parts of this set where you can really see the sort of, what is it, 10-week dev cycle of, like, the mid-set, like, and, and the fact that, like, so many of the augments just amount to essential, like, flat stat increases, like, you, you can sort of see that, like, they were like, okay, we need to make X amount of new augments, but we only have so much amount of time to, like, you know, actually sort of make, like, new, you know, these, like, new, new things, right? So, you know, we're gonna... Make some really, really, really simple, like you know, silver, like silver augments, some really, really simple gold augments, so we can pull more time to like make the more sort of trickier ones, right? I think like in a perfect world, like every augment would sort of make you rethink how you play your board, rethink how you make like your position your units. I think like another really good example is something like you know, like I really like augments like makeshift armor, like blue battery, meditation. These augments that. Well, like on the surface, yes, they're flat. They, they are stat increases of some kind, but they force you to fundamentally play the game in a different way. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that those augments are like by far the most like enjoyable to play. But I think it also does need to be said that like there is a human dev side to it, where like they only have so much time to make so many augments that are like that, and you know it's they also have to like design champions. They got to balance set. Like they got to do so much extra stuff as well. So I think it's like on my wish list, it's like yes, I would love to see more augments that you know fundamentally transform how you play the game. But also recognize that, like, our devs, like the devs are humans, and they can only make you know so many interesting, unique augments, right? They made a lot of augments. Yeah. They made a lot of. There's augments, a lot of really sure. cool ones, like Reconvivulator, like new in six point five is like super cool. Golden yeah. Egg is like really exciting. Getting a Radiant Zephyr, I think, is quite fun. Future, yeah, Future Side is very exciting. Not good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Not that it's a bad thing, but I mean, there's what? There's like 80, 84 augments or something like that. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. And that does eat into design time. And I also think that that's why it's such a significantly enjoyable set. And that's why I think the ones in 6.0 were maybe slightly better because they actually put a lot of the emphasis from set five and 5.5 into tuning up set six because it was their most ambitious project that they'd done up until that date what said so himself you know like the balance and the changes that they made in 5 and 5.5 were specifically smaller and there was less people put onto those things because they were working on set six and um aside from aside from them taking a while to get like what champions you got out of which emblem correct i mean I, there wasn't a lot wrong with the augments in set six Really, that would be my my point on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the as a set mechanic, augments are by far, like by far, like the best one. So it just adds so much like var variation to every game. Yeah, agreed, guys. I mean, I think we've uh, Sol, Unless you've got more, I think we may we may have literally talked around <laughs> human nature and and variance <laughs> all the, for the last yeah. hour. Um, it was think... it's definitely a very five-head episode. <laughs> it definitely was. I, I feel smarter just having been here. Um, I think let's move to questions now while we are here. Um, we got a lot of fun questions. So, guys, you can l listen to this live, uh, of course, uh, sometimes Tuesday night, sometimes on Wednesday afternoons in Australian Eastern Standard Time. If you are interested in asking questions, you can join our discord which is always linked in the description or you can ask questions during the live twitch chat and uh, i this is where i hand over to sol to facilitate some of the questions that we may have all right sweet um 
I guess I'll start with I'll start with this one, I guess. Oh man, a lot of these questions are very poker related. I hope that's okay. What a surprise. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah, all right. Uh, I was gonna, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll start off with saying that, um, the question basically is, so the panel has spoken at length a lot about card games, um, you know, Bodhi here, Cutler, he has played a lot of sort of Pokemon card game, Pokemon trading card game before he got into, uh, TFT, I played a lot of Magic the Gathering and poker, of course, um, what are some of sort of your highlights and sort of huge moments, Asa, in your sort of really storied sort of 10, like, career playing poker professionally? Um... So, let me think. I guess, like, in poker, you're always playing for, like, whatever stakes that you choose to play for. Like, I could choose to play... I could go to the commerce casino and choose to gamble, like, go all in and lose, like, $100 maximum or, like, 10000 maximum. So, uh, I guess, like, some of the highlights for me are what I, they call it shot-taking, like, when you play bigger games. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, the reason it might, you, why you might do it is because there's, like, a certain player in the game that's just like, wow, like, I can't resist this. For me, like, one of my first experiences was in Los Angeles, and there's a guy who was going all-in every single hand for um, however much money. Uh, by, the end, by the end of the day, it was for, like, 100000 Um I only stayed for not that long, but I remember I... Um, I brought like I I knew I played with this guy before, and then mm-hmm. I heard he was at the casino, so I went there. I brought like I, I got like as much money as I could, and I. Um... Hi guys, um, there's going to be a very small break here while I break up the audio, mostly because uh, during the live stream my power went out. So if you are listening to this uh, not live, my power did go out. So the next time you hear our voices, we will be back discussing the final questions. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. And uh, make sure to follow us on, on social media. Uh, thank you again. All right, looks like we're back, everybody. Like- We've got audio. We're back live. We were just chatting about a future question. Hello, everybody. I'm so <laughs> sorry about that. On the on the hottest night of the year so far, it looks like my internet just had a brownout. We are back, however. Thank you so much. Right. If you stuck around, we're going to finish up the questions, and then we're going to get yep. out of here before this happens again. Okay, cool. So all right, much. we'll try and get through these quickly. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Next question. All right. Who are you sort of? Um, who are you sort of? Uh, poker heroes, I guess, when you were like sort of coming up in stakes and like you know like early stages of your soccer career. What were the sort of players that you looked up to? Sort of players you sort of learned from and sort of like that. Yeah. Interesting enough, one of my poker heroes. Um, it's uh he he has a blog. Um, his you can find it if you just Google like pure aggression poker. Um, okay. I think he still posts every single day, and uh, he still yeah he still he has a YouTube channel as well. But I think he's he's still posting every day. His name's Carl, but he's kind of my poker hero because like he was actually not as good as poker as I was, but like he was just so good at like balancing like his life because I think um, poker as a career, honestly, like to get good enough to like make money in poker is like. You don't have to compete. Like, if you go to the casino, the average player there is basically silver. So if you're, like, a gold player, you're going to make money. Yeah. Um, so, like, you actually don't have to be that good at the poker aspect. Um, so, like, he was kind of my hero because he was just, like, so good at, like, balancing, like, life and, like, um, making sure to, like... I think I think when you're in poker, it's just, like, yeah, there's just... Man, so many things, like, I feel like 
get around revolve around the money but i remember like one thing that he did that like really stood out to me is um i think for like a couple months or something he didn't play any poker at all he played guitar on the streets of vegas um just like basically like like as his sole source of income like kind of like you know like a homeless person would make it he i don't think he made very much money but it was like just like his his like hey this is what i want to do and then he did it and Mm. i just think like i admire that a lot and he just um yeah he just like he does something he enjoys his life and to me that's that's worth way more than someone who made like a million dollars in a year and that's like unhappy right Mm, for sure yeah i think that that like that's that's actually really really yeah i mean that's really cool and i I think that says a lot about just i mean this could be applied to anything right it says a lot about maintaining a really uh sort of healthy work-life balance a really sort of healthy relationship with um your work and your sort of life outside of your work right and in the context of poker it's even sort of more important than ever because like poker i I mean if you're playing the game professionally it's such a stressful stressful thing to do because you know oh definitely yeah you can work 12 hours and like be down like two thousand like two thousand three thousand dollars or something <laughs> like even more right if you're playing high stakes so i mean yeah. it's really really important to sort of have that healthy balance i think for sure professional poker is definitely just just as much about like um managing like the business slash like career side of it as like the skill side because like if you're the equivalent of a diamond level player what is that like top five to ten percent i think mm-hmm no, 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 that's like, I think diamond is even diamond more restricted. Honestly, like if you're a plat level player, diamond. I, I think if you're like a, yeah, I think if you're like, okay, if you're like a diamond level player in poker and you live in LA, you can easily make like 100k a year. But like, as long as you do all the other stuff, right? It's like the skill mm-hmm. is not like the skill. The poker skill itself is not like the um. That's not the restrictive factor. Yeah, the hard part's like having to figure out how to have a normal normal life when you're literally waking up at like six p.m., seven p.m., yeah. playing until like five in the morning. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I've coached people for like one day, and like they're probably already like the best player at an average like three hundred dollar buy-in table. Like they they literally have no idea what the, even the rules are. Before like I coach them for like one yeah. day because it's just like it's yeah. Um. Cool uh i think did we okay i think i think the stream was down right when we asked this question so what's the what's the one thing that people get wrong about games like poker that you see everywhere yeah we talked a little bit about this when the stream was dead but i think like the thing that most people don't understand or like i I, it's very sad actually and it's like i'm not even sure if i should say this because it's like it's actively detrimental for people to know this but i'm just gonna be honest Poker these days is like 99% math. Um, ESPN, so like a lot of people hear about poker by like watching the World Series on ESPN or whatever, and they love like spinning up the narrative about like the poker face and all that stuff. But like in reality, like when most players are playing today, like even if I'm playing in LA against like amateur players, I like a like even a mid stakes, like mid low stakes, like you're not getting anything off like their facial expressions like poker face is like it's non-existent basically it's Um, very unglamorous yeah yeah. it's just it's pretty much just math so like i I would say the biggest misconception is just people think that poker is like oh i'm gonna stare into this guy's soul and figure out if he's bluffing (laughs) yeah it's very much a strategy game like any other strategy game it's very much just looking at like what cards am i holding you know like what, what 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 cards are on the board what what you know 
uh, how does this interact with the cards that they're likely to have? And that's pretty much it. And you make a decision accordingly. It's not, oh, he blinked twice and is, is nervously quivering. Therefore, he is he's weak. I'm going to call. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, because um, a lot of people see poker from, like, movies and stuff. I know, I know like, in... um. For Rounders is one of the most famous like poker poker yeah. movies, and even then, like the the main plot is like the hero defeats a villain by like the villain like eats an Oreo every time he's bluffing. It's, it's like hello, yeah. like hello, like dude. No, it's the other way around. He eats an Oreo every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like dude, this is like so stupid. And that's like a poker poker movie. And we go to like more <laughs> mainstream movies. Like I'm thinking like a James Bond Casino yeah, Royale. Casino Royale. It's just like. It's like, oh, I saw he had this tell, so I thought he was bluffing. Therefore, I called with my four of a kind, but oh, he tricked me. He actually had a straight flush. When it's like, in reality, <laughs> okay, if you have four of a kind, you're never going to fold no matter what, because like, yeah. it's, the probability of V is almost zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Alright, and to wrap everything off, we have a bit of a joke question. So, hypothetically, which TFT unit, past or present, would make the best poker player? All right, so we t- again, like based on what I said earlier about it being mostly math, I kind of think like the really smart TFT units, like Jace, Heimerdinger, and like Victor, would uh, kind of be the best at poker. But um, you know, if they were to play, Twist of Fate might come away with all the winnings. Who knows? <laughs> my, yeah, I, I, my, 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 my pick would be Victor. You know, the dude's literally like a machine. Like, can probably compute everything, and yeah, you can't, you can't beat him. <laughs> oh, but also like some of them actually have like supernatural powers, right? Like Echo could like go back in time if he lost a hand or something, maybe. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Or like Zillion. They're like, well, I lost time to rewind time to before this game started. <laughs> is there any t- is there true. any like League of Legends unit that can see the future? Is uh, there? I don't and know. And TF is like based on the he's based on what, like Gambit, the DC superhero who's like a card master. Like a poke, he's yeah. like a po- he's like a former poker professional who becomes like a super villain or a superhero. Right, also, right. That's what TF's yeah. based on, right? I don't know. I don't think there's any league champion that can see the future. Maybe Cassiopeia. So if they if you lose, you can just stun them all and take their money and run. Because they can't. Oh, look, I feel like a lot, a lot of league champions that they lose could just kill everyone <laughs> and take their money. <laughs> yeah, Cassie, you can't look at them. Yeah, she'll just you know. We're talking more league mechanics here than anything. I mean, I I think like Nico could just like pretend to be like the casino manager and then uh, withdraw everything. So that's another good question. Like, who would you want to rob a casino? Which league champions would you pick to help you rob a casino like Ocean's Eleven? How do you how do you plan your TFT Ocean's Eleven? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Nico, could... Nico Zillion Echo. But yeah, a lot a lot of them could probably just like. Just kill everyone. Like I don't know. Like <laughs> you're, you're like Chogath. Is is security really gonna stop you? Mm, for sure. And if he gets bigger every hand, he wins. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's OP. Oh well, I'm glad right. we get to end on a dumb question. That was quite fun. Mm. I enjoyed that. Um, guys, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, um, even though we had a bit of a an interruption there for a couple of minutes, I think um. It's been a really, really enjoyable episode. If you did listen to the the first ninety five percent, I really hope that you got something out of it from a, a probability perspective. Uh, maybe thinking about like how you play the game and if there are certain biases or differences that you can bring into a game that might change change your mind. 
Uh, I would first like to go to our guest, Acer, and, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast this evening. Yeah, it's thanks for having pleasure. me. Uh, and we just want to use this time to, uh, you know, let you shout out where people can find you if they don't know you. Um, you know, we have some audio listeners and, and things like that. So just let everyone know where they, where they can find you. Um, AcerTFT on Twitch. Uh... I guess if you're listening to this, you know how to spell it. I, I, I do also do a poker commentary, and most of the people who watch it are like Omega Boomers. Like People call me old in this community, but it's like, dude, I'm not that old. And it's like, I have to spell it out because it's like, yeah, they're just like listening and they don't even know. How, like, Yeah, comparatively speaking, I think the three of us are on the older side of TFT players, maybe. There's some fucking serious <laughs> Zoomers in this community. Yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> I mean, people are saying Robin's old. Like, Robin is young as fuck. And if he was yeah, in the Robin. poker community, he'd be like, dude, this is like an up and coming youngster. How old's Robin? Like, 28? It's like, like 29 or something. Yeah, that's like how or, old I I don't am. know exactly, but it's like, dude, like, yeah. This is like an up and comer young talent. <laughs> but yeah, and TFT yeah. is like, oh, you're older than 21? Wow, old. Boomer. True. What's like, like, dqa is what like 19 or like 18 or 9 like he won his first like tft event when he was like 17 or something like that yeah so there's some fucking zoomers out here but thank you so much for that ace i really appreciate it and of course my co-host the wonderful soul you know thank you so much for being here as always tell the people where they can find you yeah, great to have been on. Uh, I'm Sol underscore TFT on Twitch. You can find me streaming on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, 9 p.m. AEDT. Yes. So you can find me. And it will be Elden Ring. <laughs> Mostly. It will be Elden Ring. <laughs> no, no, no. It'll be, it'll be like two TFT games and then Elden Ring. <laughs> yeah. Understood. Uh, guys, look, another big thank you to Acer for joining us on today's episode. Of course, I mean, usually I say stick around for the post show where we reveal next week's guest, but we know who that is. So uh, stick around for the end and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about next week's episode. But until then, thank you so much for listening to the Roll Down podcast for myself, Cutler and Soul and our guest Acer. Lovely to see you guys. Thank you so much. See you next time.